Are you tired of working with generic IT providers that rely on you to be the expert? Arc IT goes beyond just fixing your tech headaches. They specialize in proactive IT management, BIM support, and data security for your architecture firm. The team at Arc IT gets your tech, so you can focus on doing your best work. Whether you're a small firm of 10 or a growing practice with 50 or more employees, unleash the full potential of your creative vision with Arc IT. Visit getarcit.com and schedule your free IT assessment today. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our generous sponsors, BetterHelp and Arcat.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jared Banks, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. I'm thrilled to be back. Jared's been here. This is his third visit back to the podcast. Jared and I have known each other for years, sort of grew up in the industry together, had similar paths, doing similar things in different worlds. And that's sort of what we're going to talk about today. We're not going to focus on Jared's origin story. If you want to hear all the details of who he is and what he did and how he did it, go back to episode 493, where we talked about learning to BIM. We talked specifically about BIM and the work that he does there. If you want to learn about BIM and how to get focused and get started on BIM, that's sort of that conversation was, how do you do that? How do you go from CAD to BIM and learn how to do that? That's episode 493. His origin story is there as well. And then he was back not too long ago at 524, talking about architects helping architects. That was a, each episode sort of led to the next episode because we have these conversations and then Jared and I keep talking and we're like, you know what? We should do another episode on that. So episode five. 24 Architects Helping Architects. That was a great episode. We got a lot of positive feedback from that because we both opened up quite a bit talking about what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And that's episode 524. After that conversation, we continue talking. And we said, you know what? We should do a conversation more specifically about the journey of our businesses, right? And I want to focus on your business, Jared, sort of going back to the beginning. What did you do to start? You have a very unique story and how each part of your journey led to the next journey. And sometimes it worked really well and sometimes it didn't work so well. Sometimes there was conflict. Sometimes it flowed really well. And so I want to share that conversation today. I'm going to just share a little bit of context for anybody who doesn't know who Jared is. He decided to become an architect when he was in first grade and he forgot about that dream until he got older. He remembered on the day before his senior year of high school, Jared graduated from Rice University with a BR uh, in 2005, got his architecture license in 2009, started his business, Shunome, in 2010 as a consultancy to teach other architects how to better integrate technology into their businesses. And then after moving from Minnesota to Seattle in 2014, Jared expanded his focus to include residential design, rebranding the business Shunome Architects. Jared's been blogging about BIM and ARCHICAD and the relationships between the practice of architecture and technology since 2010, which is probably right around where we met and started talking, Jared. 
he's always talking about ARCHICAD and he's got a YouTube channel since 2011 talking about ARCHICAD. If you haven't seen one of his videos or read one of his blog posts or heard him speak at a user's group conference or a webinar, you probably never Googled ARCHICAD because his name will come up or Shunome will come up and you'll find him. So that sort of gives you a little context of who Jared is, a little bit about what we've talked about in the past. Go back to those episodes and listen to each one of those. They were great conversations. Jared and I always sort of connect and click really well when we're talking. So they're interesting conversations. Today, I want to talk about your journey, Jared. You shared your business, how it works, why we do it, how we do it. I want to get more specific about sort of the timeline. So why don't we go back to the beginning okay. and specifically on you and your business, you come out of architecture school, you get a job with an architect and what did you start doing way back when? So I'd say my second job out of school, my first one was only like six months long. So there wasn't much time to develop anything, but at the second job I had outside of school, I was there for a couple of months and one of my coworkers, you know, comes to me on the sly and is like, Hey, I could use some help at night. Right. And so through this friend, Perry, I got to do my first mood lighting jobs and it was all, they weren't my clients, they were my friends' clients, but it was a great opportunity to feel really connected to the work and to do things that were really different from what I was doing during the day. So what were you doing during the day and around what year was this? So this was 2006, 2007. Okay. So the job I had during the day was working at a firm doing elderly care facilities. So everything from independent living to uh, assisted living, hospice care, nursing homes, super fascinating. As an aside, as a residential architecture today, it was some of the most formative work for my career because someone calls me today and say, hey, I want to do this remodel to my house. I'm thinking about having a parent move in or I've got little kids. And I'm like, well, okay, I've been a parent and I've also dealt with what it is to be old and live in these facilities. So I'm always thinking about kind of the whole continuum of life from little kids to aging in place. And having those two years was really just amazing to, um, to understand some of the fundamentals of yeah. how our bodies change over time. So I was doing that during the day. And then at night I was helping Perry. We did like a air conditioning factory. It was a weird company that was doing like air conditioning testing. And then the most interesting thing we worked on was renovation to a Cass Gilbert church. So Cass Gilbert did a bunch of churches, I think in the East coast, and then also did some work in like Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul. And so there was this church built in like the late 1800s that the clients wanted to add an elevator, a new entry vestibule and some other things. And so we did that. And then we returned over a couple of years to basically renovate the rest of the building. So you were an intern at this point, right? Yeah, I was an intern in getting basically the moonlighting experience of being a drafter during the day and a drafter at night. Right. It was wonderful because I had this mentor who was helping me make more money. And then also he'd be like, okay, do this. And he just gave me a lot of free reign. And then I'd be like, is this good? And he's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Everything from putting notes to on a drawing or 
dealing with weird code issues I'd never come across before. It was a great experience. You know, I didn't necessarily deal with any of the clients. Actually, I would say I'd never met any of the clients we dealt with, but just getting to experience these projects is wonderful. And then it's jumping ahead a little bit here, but when I was building my business here in Seattle, one of the things I did was say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get a lot of projects, right? There's this idea of like the 10,000 hour rule, right? Like you just have to do something for a long time and then you're good at it. So I thought for my business here, I was just going to try and do as many projects as possible. Didn't have to be grand. I just wanted to like be able to say I've permitted 20 projects, 30 projects, 40 projects, however many projects. And that's what this early moonlighting was doing is just getting more work under my belt, giving me more experiences. Yeah. My kids are actually, all three were swimmers when they were young, but now my daughter is the only swimmer left. All the others are off into college. And since my kids were small, one of the things I always told them was, if you want to get good at something, spend more hours in the pool. Yeah. Right. And so that's what you were doing, right? You were spending hours in the pool. You're doing laps. You're doing reps. Yep. Getting as much experience as you can, doing as much as you can. Were you also working on BIM and using ArchiCAD at that point? Yeah, this was a weird transition point. So this firm where I was doing the mood lighting the same time as this is the firm that I learned ArchiCAD at. So during the day I was doing ArchiCAD and then at night I was still using the copy of AutoCAD I had from college. So this is the one point in my career where I was doing both 3D and 2D at the same time and in two different platforms. And it was weird to go from one program at during the day to another program at night. But I think it actually helped in a sense for the moonlighting work because it felt so different. And then it was also relying on skill sets that I had in the past, right? During the day, I was you know trying to advance the usage of ArchiCAD, build out our templates, and was becoming the bid manager at that time. Whereas at home doing moonlighting, it was all the skills I learned in college, just like drafting a floor plan, drafting an elevation, drafting a section, doing a detail. So it was kind of building off competencies I already had and allowing me to focus on different aspects of the job. When did you start thinking about leveraging your skills with ARCHICAD and start doing sort of that idea of training and when did that sort of fall into your story? Was that later or did those seeds start being planted very early? I mean, I had to train people like on the job. I had to train coworkers. But the actual seeds of connecting with the rest of the community happened a couple of years later. So that's kind of a good transition to the next phase. So I did that moonlighting. And then as I switched to a new company, I wrapped that all up. It dragged on for a couple more months because projects take time, but yeah. I don't think I really said yes to anything else with my friend after that point. And so at the second job, there was no moonlighting. I was really focused on getting licensed and doing my day job. Yeah. And you were advancing with your responsibilities as well. Often when we first start as interns, you're sort of doing everything and whatever they tell you to do, right? You're not doing the most important work. Yeah. And then as you get more experience and have more skill, you get more responsibility. And so as you move into this next position, you have more responsibility. You have to focus more on the work that you're doing. Right, right. And then I think also that as you, you know, get to new positions, get to new jobs, there's 
more excitement or like, I really appreciate the job. I was going to get the time where I was moonlighting. So I don't want to say anything negative there, but just I had more incentive to kind of double down and focus on what was in front of me yeah. at my day job in the second firm. Well, it's all an evolution, right? That yeah. you've changed as a designer and as an architect, and now you're in a new position, you have more responsibility, you have yep. a different type of work maybe, and it's exciting, right? As we move into new things, our life changes. And so it's exciting to see change. Yeah, so at the second job, there's a couple years where... I wasn't doing any side business. I wasn't thinking about doing anything but the job I had. And I think we talked about this in probably the first episode we did together, where at that time at that firm, Sala Architects, I was like fully committed. This was going to be the rest of my career. Yeah. There's no question. This was just, this was it. Um, And then of course the recession hit and that changed everything. So now we're getting into like 2009. So 2009, I become a parent for the first time, the economy is crumbling and I've gotten licensed. So I'm like kind of looking for new challenges. And I think that's again, where as my whole career progresses, there's times where I get not necessarily bored, but restless with what I'm doing. So I'm kind of looking for the next challenge, next thing to interest. And so starting ArchiCAD user groups and doing kind of just getting involved in the community is where the next chapter of my career starts. And that's where I start training other people. It's in this period where Shunome becomes a business and that starts opening doors. And it's really where the initial marketing engine that I have takes off, right? So this is where I start the blog and start talking to both other architects and people around me as potential clients. What came first? Was it the getting excited about ARCHICAD and loving what you're doing and wanting to share it with others and then realizing there was a business? Or did you say, oh, well, there's a business here. People are asking me these questions. I'm going to focus on getting involved in some of these user groups in order for people to recognize who I am and what I do and offer my services. Which one came first? I don't know if it's either of those. It was kind of unintentional. I think it's maybe that once I started doing the running ARCHICAD user groups and getting to know people and people starting asking me for stuff, for help and advice, is that it rekindled an early passion I had from before architecture school, and this is playing music. And when I was in bands in high school, I loved getting on stage, I loved performing, But the guitarist in the band I was in for many years, like him and I loved the hustle, like being 17-year-old kids walking into a bar and trying to get a show or calling some radio station or doing whatever and just the like the hustle of getting work or getting, it's not even work or money, it's just getting opportunities. Yeah. And so I think that's where the ArchiCAD stuff really became attractive is it was an easy entry point to restarting that love of hustle in a professional place, right? When you're a newly licensed architect and you don't have any designs to show and any work you have is at your employers and you don't want to undermine them and you love your day job, it can be hard to find that outlet for that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And so ArchiCAD was just that wedge that opened the door to let me 
start doing that. And what did that look like? We talked about that in past episodes, but for this conversation, what does that look like when you start thinking about turning this into a business? So what it looked like at the start very quickly became a blog that was supported by other things. And that blog originally was supposed to be just focused on Minnesota and that's a horribly small market and that was a dumb idea. And so it quickly grew national, international. And so the early like first years of Shunome, I feel like it felt very similar to the early years of Entree Architect, the Business of Architecture blog, Life of an Architect, all these other architecture blogs and businesses that we all started in that 2008, 2012 time period. Right. And so there was moments where it's like, oh, I should, oh, I see what Mark's doing. I could also, or I see what Enoch is doing, or I see what Bob's doing. I should push in, try and do more of that. And I don't know if I can never figure out how to monetize the blog properly or my interests just shifted a different way. But I feel like there was definitely a point in the early years where I could have shifted it towards more of like this less architecture business and more kind of architecture design support. Like, And that's ultimately what it became, right? I mean, that's at that moment. Yeah, for a while, it drifted very heavily into that. And so when I went off on my own full-time, so I had Shunome for about 18 months, and then I started doing it full-time, my revenue stream switched from day job and a little bit on the side, because Shunome in the first 18 months did not make me much of anything. It was a lucrative hobby, but it was definitely a hobby. Yeah, And in that first year, being on my own, I coincidentally, like the day I quit my day job, picked up a freelancing client. It was an old college classmate of mine. So I remember it must've been like a couple of days before I actually like resigned from the job, like being in a dark conference room on a, a secret phone call with this future client, <laughs> like confirming that he was going to hire me and they were going to have, you know, make money. And so I think I went home, I quit my job. And you were licensed by now. Yeah, I was licensed because that was a big piece. Is like I never, I didn't want to start my own business, go off my own until I was either licensed or at least fulfilled all the requirements. And I think this is a big thing for anyone listening. Like, if you want to start your own business, make sure you're licensed or make sure you've crossed enough hurdles so that all you have to do is take tests. Like, I, I feel like it's a much tougher road if you're trying to be an unlicensed professional doing housing, right? It's doable. There's amazing people out there, super talented. It's not about your capabilities or anything. It's just from a marketing standpoint, it's way easier to say, I'm an architect, I design houses, than right. I'm legally not this thing, which you know I am and I know I am, but... Having to explain, yeah. right. The other benefit of being licensed is it gives you a little bit of a safety net, right? That you can take some risks in doing other things, right? Some of these more risky ideas that you might have to do something that's sort of parallel to architecture that may not be architecture, right. knowing that you're licensed and could always go back and find a client and do some architecture work in order to keep this other th dream and this other passion going if you needed to. Yeah. And is for all the things that I do that are not directly architecture, being able to say I'm an architect is a nice marketing yes. piece to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And same with me with Entree Architect. I mean, even if I don't practice, being a licensed architect gives me credibility to talk about the things I talk about. Right, right. And that was 
again, jumping ahead a little bit, like there was a period where I had built my business as an architecture firm. This is like 2014, 2016 at this point. I have projects being built and I'm an architect. I feel like I qualify as an architecture firm and I just wasn't happy. And I was thinking, okay, I've done enough. I've proved that I can have an architecture firm that I can call myself an architect. Like maybe I don't have to be this anymore. Or if at this point I pivot back to the original idea of this non-architecture firm that just focuses on helping other architects, like I've checked enough personal boxes that I can be listened to or bring the value that I think I can bring. Then stuff happened and I stayed being an architect. But there was definitely, like saying, there's definitely a period where I felt I had achieved, it's like, I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve as an architect. I'd achieved enough things that I was like, okay, if I decide a different career path at this point, I'll be not full of regret. And the weight of the work that you were doing shifted, right? You, yeah. you were doing architecture with a little bit of this freelance work as a consultant. And then at some point it flip-flop, right? And you did more work as a consultant and less architecture work. Yeah. So when I left the day job to go full-time with Shuno, I was doing mostly architecture in my career in like my days were, I've actually never thought about this, that my days were filled with being an architect. And then it quickly, over a year period, shifted to doing freelance architecture for other people. And then one of the greatest blessings with growing my business was Graphsoft North America, the US-based entity that sells Archicad, hired me as a freelancer to write for them. And so I spent two or three years where I'd say 50% of my income maybe or more was coming from being a writer. So that was an interesting switch where I can, early in my career, I made money being an intern. Then I made money technically being an architect. Then I made some money being software sales and freelancing. And then there's this chunk of time. And this is when I was living in Boston, then back in Minnesota, then back in Boston, then we moved to Washington. So there's like a two-year period where my family was very nomadic, where the bulk of my income and time was spent writing for Graphsoft and then writing for myself. And I wrote a couple articles for some other places as well. And so I was like on this cusp of being an architect or being a writer who was at one point an architect. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Architects, listen up. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world and is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. I know this community of small firm architects very well. And I see, I see many of you struggling. That's why I reached out to this episode's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote. And by filling out just a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in the show notes. It's betterhelp.com architect. Just use that link, betterhelp.com architect. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month 
of BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. If you need someone to talk to, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com architect. That's betterhelp.com architect. Thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this podcast and for supporting our community of small firm architects. For over 30 years, RCAT has been providing AEC professionals with high quality and up-to-date building product information. Today, RCAT.com is much more than a product catalog with BIM, CAD, and specifications created in collaboration with manufacturers. Beyond that, RCAT.com also offers lead data, continuing education resources, newsletters featuring the latest projects and products, and don't forget, detailed podcasts. Artcat.com is truly the one-stop shop for everything architecture. Try it out. Go to Artcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Where was the work that you were writing for Graphisoft? Where was that being published? They had a blog. So I was basically writing primarily for their website. And then if they had a connection with Architectural Record, I think I wrote an article or two for Architectural Record or maybe for Architect. I, I've got a big list somewhere where I can just look at yeah. it and smile at all the places I've written. <laughs> so they would connect me with places to write. And then once I was doing that, it was easier. to like, I wrote an article for Design Intelligence and there was an Archicad-based magazine out of a Scandinavian country that I wrote some articles for. Is like, I think I wrote something for Art Daily. And so like once you start writing, you have this portfolio built up and it's easier to get the next thing. And it was a lot of fun. And I felt myself being like, okay, I could just be a full-time writer and not be an architect. But at this point, I had yet to settle down in Seattle and really get architecture clients my own. And I felt, okay, before I just abandon this dream I've had since I was seven of being an architect with his own business doing architecture like a real architect does, whatever, you know, real architect, right? That I should actually try and like get architecture clients. Because at this transition period between starting Shunome and leaving my day job and writing a lot and settling here in Seattle, it was easy to get writing gigs. It was easy to crank out a blog post or record a YouTube video. And none of it was like super lucrative, but it was... It was fun and it was easy. And like you write a blog post and you hit publish and an hour later you get all these people saying they love it, right? This is like right. great, great instant grat- feedback. Yeah. Instant feedback, instant gratification. It doesn't then come with a big paycheck. It's like marketing. And this was this moment I had where I had built this engine, right? I was getting tons of views on my blog posts a day. I was having these great conversations on social media. I was being asked to do things, but none of it was making money or not much. And then it was all this like hype machine marketing thing. And I didn't know what to do with it. Or I didn't like what it was offering me. Like at the time, whether it was like training other architects 24-7, which is not necessarily something that was going to bring me a ton of joy or if it was just like opening doors where someone wanted to hire me as a BIM manager or it was just another opportunity to do something else for free which 
was fun and built my brand and helped people get to know me and taught them stuff, but didn't like yield anything. Is that when you started speaking? Uh, I, the first time I did a lecture was probably 2009. So I was always doing some speaking throughout all this, but it was definitely ramping up the number of talks I was doing. So we actually, you know, when we met in person back in some year at the CRAN convention in Minnesota, right. the, you know, custom residential architects network um, convention there, we both spoke and like, I got a lot of, uh, you know, interesting feedback. That's another topic, but like, it, it, it was great, but that's like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I felt a little bit like the, you know, the house cat that catches the mouse. And then it's like, well, right. what am I supposed to do with this mouse? I'm not going to eat it because that's disgusting, right? <laughs> so it's actually what I didn't know then that I know now is like a lot of this stuff of just putting things out there is it comes back, right? right. And so you have to just be in this game for a long They're time and try things and investments. So at that, well, two things that came out of that convention in, or symposium in Minneapolis was we met. So that kind of started the connection of like coming back to us talking, you know, on the podcast. And then there was a firm there that decided to switch to Archicad because they saw my talk. Fast forward a couple of years, they hired me this past year to be there, like to help just basically be an external BIM manager. I developed a template for them. We just worked together to like improve the processes and I worked with them for a year. And that was, again, jumping around here. I was getting antsy with my work just recently and wanted to try something new. And I've always done consulting and I've always helped other architects. And I thought, well, I always say I want to do some of these things. Let's really, let's really try it. And here's an opportunity. So I spent most of 2023 helping this firm down in Arizona improve their processes with Archicad. And it was a combination of using the software better and also talking with them about just how drawings go together and how to deal with each other and other people, kind of like the whole, all of architecture, right? It was an exciting opportunity where I was both the Archicad expert and I was just an architect with 20 years of experience talking with people who didn't have as much experience and who needed this advice. And it was both wonderful and crushing. So I found with, and as I go back in time, we'll talk about the earlier stuff, as I try out different things in my career and explore different paths, one of the most difficult things to do is realize when the thing you're experimenting with is not what you should continue doing and you need to pivot. So with this most recent, I'll finish this most recent one and then we'll go back to the earlier stuff, is that I was super stressed. I was getting frustrated. The client down in Arizona was wonderful really no complaints about them. And the work was nice and they paid great. And I got to fly down there on business trips and hang out with them and go to job sites, just all around wonderful. But dealing with their needs and with my clients here in Seattle, just regular residential clients and trying to do some of the other just like fun stuff I do that helps me experiment in my business was just a huge conflict and was affecting my mental state in a, in a extreme way. Yeah. And so I had to make the tough call to be like, I got to stop working with you. I know you love me. I genuinely like working with you. 
if I weren't doing a million other things and I just dedicated my life to your business, that would be great, but there's no way I'm going to do that. So I like cut ties with them amicably moved on and like the stress I was feeling the day before I told them no. And like the lack of stress I was feeling the day after was just <laughs> like a new person. It was amazing. But I've learned to cut ties or to make those hard decisions because I've had to do this so many times throughout my career. I refer to it as killing the golden goose. So I worked with Graphisoft North America for a number of years. I sold ArchiCAD. I would like fly places and do lectures for them. I wrote for them. They were very good to me. It was a, a nice, consistent amount of money. And there was a couple of years where a lot of my income came from them. And at some point I had to say, I'm, I can't do this anymore. Because while it was wonderful, it was like blocking all this other potential work and all these other, not even work or money, just opportunities. Like if I'm spending half my day doing this thing, I'm not able to explore these other things. And so there's been a couple of times in my career where I've had to say, okay, I got to let go. And I've talked with a lot of friends who also, they go off on their own. And when they go off on their own, the first thing they do is they pick up a big freelance client. It's like an architecture firm that needs help. And it's great because it replaces like 30% of your income, 40% of your income, 50% of your income. And so you're able to like be an independent architect while you find clients, but you don't have to worry too much about money because you have this other company that's feeding you work. And that always works great for a couple of years, months, however long. And then there's a point where your marketing engine kicks off and it just starts getting more stressful. And it's scary to say no or to go to the person who's providing you with half your income and be like, I know this has been wonderful, but now I have to stop because there's just like internal conflict of getting all your work done. I think often, I mean, you hear in the entrepreneurial circles all the time that you want to have multiple sources of income, right? That's something that you hear all the time when you're doing research about business and, and entrepreneurism is have lots of income coming from different places. And then there's always something coming in. But with all those separate sources of income, there are responsibilities, right? And so now you're not only bringing income from lots of other places, but you're now you're spreading yourself, your responsibilities, the roles you have also in multiple places. And that becomes very stressful, right? Because you have responsibility for all of them, yep. equal responsibility for all of them, right? So if you're running one business, you need to give that business 100%. If you start a second business, you need to give that business 100%, right? And if you try to do the side thing there where you want to bring some money in, you want to focus as much as you can on that as well. And so there's only one of us. And so unless you build a team and you start building systems that allow you to do some of these things without you doing those things, that's where that stress comes in. I've experienced that many times in my past with all the things that I do. I experience that now with some of the things that I'm doing because of exactly that, right? That there are responsibilities that you need to have in order for things to be successful, especially if you bring on people and you start hiring people. Now you're responsible for them as well. They are expecting things from you, much like your freelance work with this client in Arizona. You love the work but you have to give them 100% attention while you're trying to also give other things 100% attention and that doesn't work, right? There's a conflict there. Right, totally. And I feel like I could really look at my business over the past 14 plus years and 
at many times it's not one business, it's five businesses. Right. They just all happen to feed into the same bank account and have the same name and, you know, yeah. be effectively the same for taxes. But yeah, if you're both an architecture firm and an author and a consultant, a YouTube star, though not really YouTube star, right? But like you're you're all these things. Right. It's tough. And so I find that my revenue sources or the things I explore expand and then it gets overwhelming. And then I try and pair them back and then it gets really small and I have space. And so I start experimenting and I start growing the different things and then I cut it back. And I love doing that because you get to try things out and some stuff works really well and you keep that. So I highly encourage anyone who's listening to like explore some of these weird paths, but then also learn when to just chop them and cut them out of your life. Do you have any advice for how and when to do that? I think one big piece of advice is not actually your question, but I'll come back to your question because it's a good one, is that like be aware of golden goose, right? Be aware of these side things that grow too big and start taking too much time and realize when they have to be cut. But as to like when to do them or how to find them, I think it's basically anytime you see an opportunity, if you're not overloaded, just give it a shot, really. Because you never know, right? So I just find them always fun. So I don't know. That didn't really answer your question, though. Well, when do you, yes, take them on and explore and go chase those dreams. But when you realize that you need to end one, right? You have a perfect example with your Arizona project or your Arizona client where you really enjoyed doing the work for them. They paid you well. They really liked you, right? You could have spent 100% of your life doing just that. Right. But that wasn't feeding you and doing the things that you wanted to do. So you needed to make that cut. When do you realize that? And how do you actually make that decision? That's a difficult decision, right? There's a lot of money coming in. There's security and safety with that money that comes with that. You're going to cut that off and you're going to go do something else. How do you do that psychologically? So I'm a big believer in trying to pay attention to your own mental health. And so one of the things that I do for myself, and I encourage everyone to do it, and maybe this could be the thing at the end I talk about, but one of the things I do is I track my hours every day. And I say, like, okay, today I did three hours on Project X. And this is what I did. I you know, worked on design schemes. And then I have a little box on my timesheet that I put yellow, red, or green. And it's just my emotional state. And so I track my emotional state for every chunk of work I do on every project. And so if you do that, you can then see, you can look back over a month, a couple months and see how you actually felt about the project. That's such a good idea. Yeah. That's the thing that's helped me is like, oh, everything is red. What is going on? Or this project that should be bringing me joy is in the red. And this other thing is in the green. Why is that? Oh, I was always stressed on this project because I always felt I was doing it in the margins because I had to do this other thing. What was that other thing? I had agreed to do a lecture that was taking too much time to prepare, or I had volunteered to you know, write an article or, or whatever it was. And so that's been hugely instrumental in helping me understand both what work I like and how other work affects, right? Sometimes I look at my timesheet and it's like, 
oh, this project's red. It's because I was dealing with permit corrections. Of course, that's not going away, right? Just get over yourself and do it. Right. But other times it's, it's because of the project. And now, I mean, the last time we spoke, you mentioned to me that you're doing a development project. Yes. Right. And, so, and that's another huge business, yes. and another big responsibility. And so where did, where did that happen? How did that happen? And what is your mental state today with doing that, <laughs> doing that work? I was stuffing a lot of envelopes last night in relation to that project. My mental state's pretty good, I think. So how that came about is, again, with all of this stuff I do, it's just talking with people, with friends and like dreaming and saying like, wouldn't it be cool with, or, oh, we should. And so I have a friend here in Seattle, Carrie Westerbeck, who for years we've talked, we've collaborated on projects. He helped me get my business going here. We've just been friends for a long time. I watched him do a development project by himself and we've just always talked about, oh, we should do this, right? It's kind of, you talk with your friends and you're like, it wouldn't be great to just like, go skydiving or jump into a volcano. And it's kind of like crazy and you never think you're actually going to do it, but you just kind of keep dreaming about it. And there'd been a couple times where some opportunities came up and Carrie is very serious about making the transition from architect to developer and architect as developer. And I want to support that. So I'm like, anytime you need help with sorting things out, let me know. And then this one property came up that he'd already done some feasibility studies on. So we already knew it was kind of viable and it came on the market and we went for it. Just kind of like, let's do it. We have a third friend who is a contractor, which just not think too hard and just dive in. So it was both 10 years of idle discussion and 10 minutes of being like, let's, let's do this. So we did. Fortunately, Within the group of three of us who are doing this development project, my partners, Carrie and Brent, have known each other for years and have done a lot of work together. Carrie is the architect, Brent is the contractor. And then I've known Carrie for a decade and we've done all sorts of things together, both as me being a freelancer for him when I first came to Seattle, me doing Archicad consulting for him, then me taking projects that he didn't want, then the two of us collaborating jointly on projects as kind of equal partners and now as co-owners of a development business. And where that project is today is it's in permitting and we'll hopefully start construction in the spring. The last time we talked, I was like, oh, let's talk about revenue sources. Let's put it out till 2024 because I figured that should be enough time. This thing could get going. And it hasn't, maybe by the time this episode airs, we'll be in the ground. But it's been 15, 16 months from the time we bought the property till today. And we've gone into debt. We've got access to construction funding. We've spent our own money. And so when I look at all the things on my list for us to talk about today of like, oh, you know, I've and Amazon Associates on my website, right? So people can click on an affiliate link and I'll get a little money. And that's maybe, maybe like $80 in 13 years. The most recent $10 came surprisingly two days ago <laughs> or four days ago, but Amazon Associates maybe $80. Development project has so far cost me money and I have a home equity line of credit. So I've borrowed against my house to buy the property and 
eventually the business will pay me architecture fees because I've been the primary architect on it, but right now it hasn't. So there's a big chunk of my income from last year, which doesn't exist yet, but will get paid in the future. So it's just an interesting thing where the development project is this totally different scale from anything else we've done that I've done or my partners have done. I have high confidence it's going to turn out fine and will one day turn a profit or at least break even and totally be worth it for so many reasons, which I'm sure hopefully we'll talk about in a future episode. But right now it's just cost me money, basically. But it's a huge opportunity. What I want to ask is looking back and connecting all the dots, right? How much did all of those steps along the way that we just talked about sort of lead you to this opportunity? This opportunity, if it was given to you, same opportunity, same group of friends, but at a different time in your experience, in different time in your life, maybe earlier on in the journey, how do these dots lead to giving you the confidence and the courage to proceed with a project of that scale? That's a great question. I don't think I would have been ready for this anytime sooner than kind of where we are, whether it's having permitted so many projects in the Seattle area or watched enough of my projects be built, dealt with enough clients, had enough successful and unsuccessful collaborations with people that going into this, like, uh, you know, I just love working with Carrie. We've, you know, like I said, we've been on and off business partners for a decade, but going into this now, it's such a higher level of risk and reward that I'm taking all these lessons from all these other collaborations I've had to make sure that Brent, Carrie, and I are talking clearly and are tracking things clearly and are not being very, very diligent and wary of miscommunication to make sure that like, okay, you understand what you're saying. Okay, you agreed to do this. I agreed to do this. Let's make sure we pay you fairly. Let's do this fairly. So the whole collaborative process of working together as a successful team is just years of experience. And then a lot of this too is having tried other random business explorations and seeing the ups and downs of it and realizing that there's going to be a lot of trough, right? That this development project is super exciting, but there was a couple months where nothing happened. There was a couple months where we thought we had funding and things got really stressful and problematic, not between the three of us, but just like finding $2 million to build a building. (laughs) <laughs> when it's not like, client, here's your drawings. Tell me right. when you have the money and we'll yeah. get to business. It's like, oh no, you have to do financial statements and get lending and do all this is immensely stressful. And yeah, just whether it's like writing a blog or doing mentorship or freelancing or bid management or whatever, like it's all paying off with this, with this development project. Or we'll see if it actually pays off, but it's definitely enabling us to I think, be a high-functioning team that's going to be able to handle the ups and downs of it. Yeah, we'll have to have you come back and share some of your lessons learned on Architect Developer. As we wrap things up here, rather than asking my normal final question, I want to put a little twist on it, which I think may be easier for you to answer. I usually ask, you know, what's one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? But I want you to sort of think about your journey 
and put yourself back in that first phase, right? That first step when you started moonlighting. We have thousands of architects listening. Hundreds of them are probably that guy, that yeah. architect, male or female, whoever, what you're doing, starting your firm, starting your journey before all the dots have been connected. What is your advice for the architect who's starting out, who may have similar passions that you have, maybe have similar dreams of where they may end up someday? What would you say, looking back, is the one thing that you would say to that young architect as they start their journey? I think there's two things I would suggest. One is going back to my colored squares. The sooner you can get in tune with tracking your mood on how you do things, the better. right? And I think for someone starting out, that's not just how much do I enjoy doing this project or that project, but how much do I enjoy that I just spent two hours dealing with taxes? Or how much do I enjoy I just spent two hours dealing with the website? Like the faster you can get in tune with how much joy these different pieces bring you, I think the sooner you can stop doing the stuff you don't like, whether you just cut it out of your business or you more quickly get to the point where you can outsource it to an accountant, to a business manager, to to whoever, office manager. Yeah. So I think one, just learning how that is. And then the second is take everything you do seriously and photograph it as best you can. And then build that portfolio of every project from day one. It's not something I did because I was like, oh, well, I'll have a better project next time or I'm too busy or whatever. And my business is 14 years old and my portfolio was garbage. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful work in there. That's one of my goals for 2024 is to properly build a portfolio for Shunom Architects because it doesn't exist in a state that I'm happy with. Yeah. And I have to go back through 14 years of built and unbuilt work and deal with that. Whereas if you just like from day one, document each project when it's done, you're going to be so far ahead of the game. Yeah. And in addition to having those photographs for marketing and being able to have a portfolio to show clients for potential projects, it also documents your journey. Yeah. It shows your progress and your progression and your growth. Yeah. And so if you document every project that you do, no matter how big or small it may be, and you have all of that, when you're 15, 20 years into it, you can go back and very easily see where you've come from. Yep. Which I can tell you, somebody who's 53 years old has been doing this for more than 20 years now, looking back at those early days and seeing where I am and what I've accomplished helps me keep moving forward. Yeah. Right. But if I don't go back and think about that, those daily frustrations of not having it work the way I want it to work can get really painful very quickly. And then I look back and say, okay, look at where you've come from, right? Look at the people that you've affected, right? The impact on the world that you've had. Uh, it helps me push some of that pain away and say, well, that's okay, right? We are where we are. Yeah. And it's amazing that we've gotten here. And so that photographing all of the work that you've done allows you to very quickly document and recognize the journey that you've been on. Yeah. And then at the same time, getting a quote from a client who's going to be thrilled with your work and treating each project with kind of the importance that it deserves in your clients, like it's super important to them. So basically don't undervalue yourself, yeah. right? That's, that's what it is. 
right? Just like all your work is great. Your clients like you. And if you find out that you hate photographing your work and documenting it and doing this, that's a good thing to know. And then outsource <laughs> it early on yes. rather than a year 14. So yeah. I love the idea of color coding your emotional state with your timesheet. Yeah. Right. So this is what I've done today. And this is how I felt, right? That you're not only documenting the hours you've spent and what you've been doing, but also how you felt doing it. Yeah. I think that could be so valuable. Thanks for sharing that. His name is Jared Banks. You can learn more about Jared and the work that he does at shoenome.com. We'll have a link to that on the show notes. Just go to the show notes for this episode and we'll have a link to shoenome.com. Jared, thank you. Thanks for coming by back again and sharing more of your journey. Having this conversation always gets me thinking about where I am and the things that I do. And so I hope that others are inspired the same way. I appreciate you for sharing your story here at Entree Architect Podcast. I love having these conversations with you. So thank you for having me back again and again and again. So. Yeah. And when you get further along in the development project, I want to do an episode on development. So get that further along and we'll do it again. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a link with a friend. That is the best way to help us grow. And that's how we have grown to serve thousands of architects just like you. Share a rating, write a review, but most important, share a link to this episode that you just listened to. Go send it off to a friend. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to the sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in today's episode. They're all found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast, Entree Architect Podcast. Select episodes are available for continuing education credit. Go learn more at gablemedia.com slash members. And if you are a small firm architect, listen up, architects. Join us today at Entree Architect Network, the worldwide organization for small firm entrepreneur architects. That's you with monthly business training, business resources, special session webinars, mastermind groups, and a thriving community of small firm architects. Your peers are there. Hundreds of them are there already. We will provide you with the support and the encouragement that you need to succeed. Hey, and this is super exciting. This is new coming in 2024. Entree Architect Coaches. Yes, finally, after all these years, business coaching for small firm architects. It's coming to Entree Architect Network in early 2024. Join us. Try Entree Architect Network for free for 30 days. It's free for 30 days. Visit network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. That's network.entrearchitect.com to learn more. Try it. Come join us. Try it for 30 days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.